Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening, David. Yes. How you doing? Well, I'm curious as to what's on your mind. <laughs> that's, what I'm, that's what I'm doing. Well, I was going to write an article I about also don't this. have all day. <laughs> all right. This episode is brought to you by movie. No, um, yeah, uh, I was going to write an article about this, but honestly, I had just written a similar article elsewhere. Um, so uh, I wrote an article about uh, something that uh, Ben Shapiro had said. Um, in the midst of so- saying something that I agreed with, he said something that as as often, like when he ventures into the world of movies, I'm like, oh, come on, man. Um, so I wrote an so article you, about... Wait, ben, ben Shapiro was sounding off about something he doesn't know about, like, say, the uh, mental health of people who are transgender? Sure. It's something he doesn't know about and yet seems to be very comfortable sounding off on at length. He's comfortable with most things. It's, you know, it's an interesting thing. I really don't like him. I know you don't. I really, Uh, really don't like him. The thing that gets me is that, and this happens, this is not what I wanted to talk about, but there are moments when I, I, uh, I think of like people that I agree with or people whose work I admire, like uh, directors or actors or musicians or whatever. And I feel like, I don't think they'd like me. Um, <laughs> I know that's a weird thing, but it's just one of those things that like, especially like in the, in the conservative commentator community, I know a handful of them. And then I, then there are like friends of friends. Yeah. And so, uh, and it's just like, yeah, I don't think we would get along. And Ben Shapiro is someone that I get the feeling doesn't get along with most people, but, uh, I might be wrong. I know that he has friends. I mean, you've definitely got evidence to go on Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. in terms of that. Um, I don't know. I tend to, I, I don't think I would like anyone. So I don't think, yeah. Uh, I think I've definitely disabused myself long ago of the notion that I would like someone just because I like their output oh be my it, yeah be no. it creative or or political or or whatever yeah um yeah there's there's no telling yeah it's i mean i feel like i i'm able to like most people i trust very few of them but i like most people um but it's just like yeah they'll just let me down so just uh, keep this on the surface anyway the point is that's neither here nor there the point is uh similarly uh another <laughs> conservative who i genuinely do not care for um even even when he is saying stuff I agree with, which admittedly is is less frequent. Um, Matt Walsh, not of the UCB. Not the good one. Not the good one, not the fun one. Not the one from Widows. Star of Widows. That's right. I forget that he's in that. Uh, I didn't forget because when I saw it at AFI Fest, they bring out the cast, and I think they just bring out whoever happens to there, be there. Because, yeah. um, you know, recently at the premiere, or the LA premiere or whatever of vice okay our friend matt champagne was up on stage because he's in like one scene yes yes um, i think uh he uh, he uh instagrammed that and i was like what wait what yeah so they, they always seem to whoever's there and so matt walsh was able to make it to the screening even though he is in one scene in widows all right but yeah. it's a it's a memorable scene yeah um plus he had to do so certainly probably another day as an actor of photo shoots yeah do you think that's why he took the role because he thought it'd be funny um anyway so uh but uh conservative commentator matt, matt walsh um was talking about superhero movies and he was saying that like they're you know they're that he's grown tired of them and that they're all the same and that sort of thing. And, and okay. And, and was being okay. very, so far I'm on board, <laughs> right. But he was being very dismissive. And I found myself getting upset with him. Uh, and 
the, the mental argument I was making in my head, I soon realized, uh, that's a film lover's argument that, and, and in fact, that's an academic argument that I'm making. He is not, regardless of what he might think, he is not an expert in film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he would, and I don't think he would claim to be though. It doesn't stop him from writing articles. Um, and so, and the thought that I was making is like, of course they're all the same. It's a fucking genre. All right. Uh-huh. Like if you watch Westerns, you're like, eh, kind of tired of these wide open spaces. You know, it's <laughs> like, like we get it. Film noir. She's dangerous. Like, yeah, it's a genre. They're going to have the same story elements over and over. The point is you find the variations mm-hmm. and that's what you take joy in. That's what's exciting about any one particular movie. And then I thought, yeah, but that's, I don't think that's a legitimate I don't think that should be a legitimate, legitimate gripe for me. If you said it, then it'd be like, oh, you should know better. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But he's just a regular person. He's a regular person. Uh-huh. Uh, regular. And so my question is, is that something I should be? Certainly his tone is something I could be frustrated with, that dismissive thing, which bothers me so much. But his attitude of like, well, it's just the same thing over and over. It's like, yeah, well, he's a regular, he's a normie. And so he would think that, and that is, that's, is that okay for, you know, should I have gotten upset at that attitude? Um, I mean, uh, I'm not a fan of that guy either, so I don't care what you get upset with, (laughs) um, with him. But no, I think about this sort of thing a lot in that, like, I'm a film critic, not a professional. We make, you know, we have some advertising, money coming in here or whatever. You're part but, of two prestigious societies, David. Uh-huh. So yes. I'll take um, it. Well, and a third you don't know about. Oh my, <laughs> I was wondering about that <laughs> ring that you had <laughs> yeah. that you used um, to sign all your letters. Uh, um, uh, so I'm, I am a film critic and I think about the fact like, well, who am I? Am I, if you talk about the idea, if you think of the idea of film critics as gatekeepers, which I don't, right. Because I hate that term. Yeah. But if you think about that, it's, oh, they're the front line. They're people who see all the movies and then tell everybody else what's good and what's not. Mm-hmm. That's not how I think of film criticism. But I know that there are people who do look to critics for that. Right. And so I think about what, am I, am I going to be a good, as someone who sees, I mean, I'm, uh, I love, uh, this is the first year I've had a letterbox, so I can tell you that I've seen something like 330 movies mm-hmm. so far this year and we'll probably, you know, top, uh, maybe get close to 350 by the end of the year. Uh, cause I'm going to cram a bunch of stuff in. You keep at it. Um, so someone who sees that many movies and doesn't have to pay for most of them. Yeah. Versus someone who goes to the movies, even someone who goes every couple weeks and has to pay, we're just fu- like fundamentally looking for different things. Right. Um, and it really weighs on me. Like, am I being, am I being fair? Like when I, you know, am I trashing a movie because, um, yeah, because I've seen 350 movies this year, seven or eight of them were exactly like this, <laughs> Yeah. but this person hasn't seen those or, or, or hasn't seen all eight of them at least, you know, this, this imaginary person, um, it's sort of like this. I, okay. Cause I don't want to sound snobby about this. I don't think I am um, sounding you know. snobby, but, uh, you know, um, our friend Jimmy Pardo used to talk about it and probably maybe still does. I never not funny about like his increasing inability to talk to non comics. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I don't know if you have this, but like people, you know, in your life who are 
not like movie. But that's the thing about being into movies is everyone likes movies, right? <laughs> everyone likes movies. That's, <laughs> um, yeah. And so when someone know, finds out you're like a movie person, they're like, Oh, what's good? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not going <clears> to <throat> like, I, I feel like, is it, do I just be completely honest and talk about like the Jafar Panahi movie that I saw at Toronto? Right. Or are they asking me what movie that's playing at AMC is good? Right. And this was what I don't want to sound snob, snobby because I'm not saying that's a judgment of that person. Right. But it is sometimes hard for me to find out like, what does this person want from me when they're asking me what movies are good? Yeah. Yeah, it's and this uh, was odd. I mean, we have to deal with the ads and stuff, but this actually plays in today's into today's discussion more than I was anticipating when I brought it up. Um, yeah, because I do think that there's this, like for example, it's entirely possible that critics are w- could be more forgiving of a superhero movie that just completely, that doesn't break the mold. It's just kind of, it's like all the others, but they might be more forgiving of it because they see way more stuff in between. Um, and so it winds up being this, it winds up being refreshing. Like it certainly is not like the movies that you saw at AFI fest or something Mm -hmm. like that. Whereas for, you know, the, the average moviegoer who doesn't see that many movies and the movies they do see are probably big tent pole movies that are going to feel the same from one movie to the next. Oh, right. That's a good um, point. Yeah. I don't know. It's, uh, I just thought of that and I don't think that actually holds up the more I think about it, but, um, no, but, but it, it is, is one thing to go like, I mean, this week I saw, um, Aquaman, <laughs> This okay. is my geek week because mm-hmm. I saw Aquaman, Spider-Man into the universe and mortal engines. Yeah. But also I went home each night and watched the Nicholas rogue movie. There you go. Because spoilers, we are planning on profiling Nicholas rogue next time it comes around. <laughs> so, um, it has been a really weird, like, I, yeah. like, uh, I've literally watched three geek movies with three Nicholas rogue movies in between. Um, uh, and it probably has shaped my, if I had just seen, one or just seen the other, I would probably be thinking about them differently, but to come home from mortal engines yeah. and then watch bad timing is going to make yeah. me think about both movies yeah. maybe a little bit differently. Yeah. In, in looking at it another way, like it was just a week of perpetual palate cleansing, <laughs> you know, yeah. just, um, that's true. But yeah, so it's just something that, I, that I do wonder, um, you know, to go back to the, the Jimmy Pardo idea of only, increasingly only being comfortable with people that are, that are comics. What he means is like people that look at the world a certain way or a pat or are passionate a certain way. And what's interesting is that for me, you know, I just complained about these two people that I probably agree with politically. Mm-hmm. And then you, I agree with very little politically except on some very core issues. Uh, and yet, yeah, I, I'm, infinitely more likely to talk to you yeah. uh, than them. Yeah. W- why is that? Well, yes, of course there's the history and there's just overlap in certain personality traits and a general distaste for humanity. But, <laughs> uh, but beyond that, uh, d- movies like movies, I don't require that somebody think about movies the way I do, but I do find that most of the people that I'm close friends with happen to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I yeah. think I think I, I I don't know if that's a fault with mine or if uh, with me or if just uh, the way things work as you get older. Yeah. Um, but I do think that looking at that Matt Walsh article um, is like, yeah, this is probably what a 
a regular person, and I don't say that with any, uh, you know, not in the pejorative or anything like that, but this is probably how a regular person thinks of most yeah. uh, about movies because and the term regular seeing, here I want to make sure, make clear is subjective, right? A regular person in terms of movies. Sure. This yes, person yes. could be a world famous athlete, yeah. you know, they could be exceptional in many other ways, Exactly. but in terms of how they think about movies, that's what, yeah. that, that's just what we I mean. I, I just yeah. really want to avoid something. I'll say the average movie goer. Yeah. I'll put it that yeah. way. I, I just want uh, to sound snobby because the average movie goer sees, and again, I don't mean this in a pejorative, like they see the movies that are presented to them, uh, and you probably have a, a, some buzz and, uh, a lot of, uh, marketing push and so they will see that and those movies tend to be uh the most watered down and the most uh generic because they need to appeal to a larger audience and when you're seeing movies that are generic within a certain genre uh then yeah they are going to seem all the same and you'll probably notice that and you'll probably be frustrated with it um but yeah so i i was i was happy in the moment that like rather than just be my usual angry self and just respond uh, uh-huh. in that regard, I was happy that I thought like, well, hang on a minute. I just made an argument. I just made a film school argument and to someone uh, against someone, again, all this was in my head, but against someone who did not go to film school. Mm-hmm. Um, Speaking of film school, okay. and then we'll get to the ads, but have you found, cause I feel like I'm, Man, this is getting into... We're going to get to the topic eventually, but there's so much stuff I've been thinking about recently. Um, I'll ask you this question first, and I'll get to the the follow-up. Have you found, especially with having gone back to film school and getting your master's, have you found that there are friends you you have that are movie people, but that you've changed beyond... Like, not... Again, beyond sounds snobby, but your tastes have changed, and they're still, like... They're still talking about movies the way maybe you did when you were back in college. Yes. And that sounds, it, it can, it can sound, I'll say this. Sorry, back in undergrad for you. I should. Have right. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Please. Um, yeah, I will say that, uh, when I think about, I was talking about this, I, when I was in Chicago, I went to, went to breakfast with, uh, somebody that I was at UCLA with. Um, and I said like, do you feel like the master's program, like, do you feel like it, it changed you in a quantifiable way. Like as a movie goer, I feel like I, I don't notice much change in myself before and after. I think as a writer, I became much more comfortable with run on sentences, but beyond that, (laughs) uh, as long as they're structurally sound, no problem. Um, but beyond that, I feel like I haven't changed that much, but I do think in general, you know, grad grad school or no grad school, I do feel like as a, like this show and then the people that I've known as a function of this show, has changed the way that I look at movies. And I think I do look at them like another level down. Whereas when I do talk to some people that are good friends and that do have tremendous insight, um, I find that there is like, Oh, okay. I've gone a level deeper than they seem able to go. And already I feel like an asshole for saying that, but I do think that when you talk movies, as long as we have, and I don't just Mm -hmm. mean 11 years, I mean, hours at a time. Yeah. Uh, I think it's going to have that impact. But my, I've been self-reflective because I was kind of, I've been flabbergasted. It's, it's awards screening season. Mm -hmm. So I'm at a lot of movies where I'm, you know, and even at a press screening, the 
conversations you overhear before a movie starts are usually unbearable. Mm. Um, but they're a different kind of unbearable during for award screenings. Award screenings. Okay. These aren't critics, but they are people who are in the industry. Yeah. And so I've heard a number of things. I heard just a couple days ago leaving the screening, um, the person was like, that was good. It wasn't an A+. Plus. There have only been three A-plus movies this year. And I, wish I, could I think the third one might have been Vice. It was something I haven't actually seen yet. Okay. But it was like Bohemian Rhapsody, Green Book, and then another one. And I was like, those, are, you know, those two movies he mentioned are movies that I saw and hated. And so I was, in a way that I will say was initially probably kind of snobby, I was thinking about how is it possible for a person to clearly be passionate about movies, but also have a part where, nope, I'm not going any further than that. Do you know what I'm saying? This yeah. is what I understand a good movie to be and have my entire life. And I'm not going any further. Yeah. I was being, but I didn't, it occurred to me, well, I'm not exactly like, I'm maybe a little more adventurous than that guy, but I'm not seeking out my local micro cinema and watching, right. you know, <laughs> eight millimeter experimental shorts. Like everyone has a, a place where they're, where they're comfortable. I try to push it I, for myself. I try to pu- push myself, but I, uh, there seemed to be a th- an internal theme for me over the recent days, weeks, years, months, uh, months, years, um, of trying not to be a snob, even though I have snobbish reactions. Yeah. And so that was my thought there was like, this person clearly cares about movies, taking time out of the day, watching movies, uh, trying to catch up. And just because they've put the sort of, they've put the goalposts at one place and right. I've put them at a different place. Doesn't mean I'm better than them, even though that is my initial reaction. It's, it's a very, you know, I've on this show, I've compared my love of movies to my, uh, my spiritual beliefs. And, you know, when you're a Christian, especially if you grew up in the church and you're getting older, you see those goalposts all over the place. I mean, there are people for whom like, they grew up in the church. They're not leaving the church. They're probably still going to stay in the church they grew up in. And they know, and they believe this and they have a a rudimentary knowledge of it and they know enough. And then there are people that it goes a little bit further and a little bit further. You know, I, I like to think that I have thought a great deal about my uh, faith. I've read a number of, of books about it, like more intellectual books until the day comes when years ago I talked to somebody who was like getting their PhD, like in, in, uh, not in spirituality and like comparative religion or something like that. And he said he was writing his thesis on uh, the Trinity, mm-hmm. you know, father, mm-hmm. son, Holy spirit. And I, and I was just like, I was like, really? Well, like, like what's, what's the hook? And I immediately regretted asking that question because that's when I realized he, his goalposts are miles oh, past wow. mine. And I, and on one hand I was just like, good for him, like good for him. And it's exciting that someone is thinking that much about it. And I was just like, yeah, I thought I was intellectual until I met one. Yeah. And then I realized, okay, clearly I have a stopping point yeah. uh, with my own faith. And sometimes someone will ask a question that forces me to go a little bit further and I'm thankful for it. But yeah, we all have the moment when we say, all right, I, uh, I think we're good. <laughs> um, well, I'll get us, I'll, I'll get us to ads by changing the topic by saying something stupid. Okay. When my mom was a kid, it was the father, son, and the Holy ghost. Right. Then it became spirit. Do you think spirit's here to stay? Or do you think it's going to keep changing as words? Can... As we get older, it could be like a holy vibe or something <laughs> like that. I can actually see that. <laughs> Good, actually. Yeah. Depending on where in the country you are, I don't know. But because yeah, I, like I do that. know that uh, that 
in certain places of in in like certain denominations, it's still Holy Ghost. I believe okay. Baptists say Holy Ghost. I was raised with Holy Spirit. So was I, but that's yeah. My mom, my mom has a really interesting uh, thing because my mom was born before Vatican II, before all the 1960s sort of mm-hmm. uh, things where like you don't have to do you don't have to do mass in Latin anymore. Yeah. The, priest can face the congregation as opposed to that's the only old way is to the priest represented the congregation to God. So actually did yeah. the entire mass with his back to the congregation because he was like, this is my flock. I'm looking yeah. up at you. Um, like Jim Morrison. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then also like, um, things like, uh, but that's what I'm saying is like, just because the Vatican changed things, like it didn't, every Catholic in the world didn't suddenly go, okay, I'm okay with this now. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so I think my mom's generation still feels of, of Catholics still feels like um, cremation is bad, even though sure. it's since the 1960s, it's been perfectly okay with the Catholic church yeah. for you to be cremated. It wasn't okay afterwards. And those, those attitudes don't die so easy. Right. See, I saw, I said it was going to be a dumb thing about the Holy spirit. Yeah, and now I'm talking fine. about uh, anyway, let's, let's pay some bills. We I can guess. take anything that's dumb and somehow legitimize it. That's podcasting. Okay. This episode is brought to you by Mubi, a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, Mubi's curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $8.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. David, I'm excited about this. Currently available on Mubi is Paul Schrader's Adam Resurrected. Oh, I know you're a big fan of this. The movie is 10 years old. I absolutely adore it. Uh, when I when I saw... Well, what? Just, it's, I, I hate to be the like, oh, I feel old. But the idea that a movie that came out after we started the podcast oh, yeah. can now be a decade old. Very because much I remember so. you talking about this movie on the podcast when you saw it. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it is a marvelous film. When I saw First Reformed, I thought... You know, this I, I adore First Reformed, and I thought, I wonder if this will get people more aware of Adam Resurrected. Um, well, it sounds like movies doing their part to make your uh, dream come true. It is, yeah, it's my lifelong dream. I mean, 10 years ago, it's, you know, it's my dream, but, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it features, uh, a really great when we think of Jeff Goldblum now we have a very specific idea not unlike Christopher Walken we know how he talks we can do an impression of him and he yeah. seems aware of it and there's and that's fine uh but not unlike Christopher Walken and say catch me if you can like Jeff Goldblum is still quite capable of acting um and even when he's playing quote unquote himself he's still acting don't get me wrong but in Adam Re- Resurrected it is just a a fascinating hodgepodge of ideas that seem to coalesce around his performance. Uh, and essentially his character is a, a, a man who, uh, is an entertainer. He's a clown, uh, in Germany and, uh, is Jewish. And, uh, he, then he gets sent to a concentration camp, but he is able to stay alive by being like the local, uh, the, 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 commandant's dog like quite literally he has to act like a dog and the commandant is played by Willem Dafoe and it's very uncomfortable of course but Mm -hmm. it's also just like really horrifying when he sees that like hey not only so when the holocaust is over like not only 
did I survive and other people did not, but I survived by doing such a humiliating thing. So he just feels particularly dehumanized and it's just a, and yet it is also kind of funny at times. And it's, I've only scratched the surface. I didn't even talk about the magic, uh, or the wild, like the actual, like, uh, wild child that he income that he encounters afterwards and decides to take in and domesticate. Like there's so much crazy <laughs> stuff going on, but I cannot recommend it highly enough. Uh, in the world of video games, I don't know why I know this. There's something called a system seller. All right. It's the idea that there's a game that is exclusive to one system right, okay. and it is so good that people <clears throat> say you should buy the system so that you can play that game. Uh, I can go ahead and say that Adam Resurrected, in my opinion, is a system seller for movie. Uh, don't get me wrong. Like, a lot of the movies that we've talked about are really great, but yeah. Adam Resurrected is, a, is kind of a hard film to find. And so That's great. you'll get 29 other great movies at this exact moment uh, if you get movie. Uh, including A Touch of Sin. Including the, A Touch uh, of Sin. Yes, thank you. Gia Zhangki. I don't know how you say his name. Yeah. But, uh, that, that filmmaker's uh, movie. Yeah. Which is very uh, good. Yeah, I, I will say that. Uh, so every every week there are movies that they want us to talk about, but they also give us the freedom to talk about whatever movies they, they that we want to. And when I saw Adam Resurrected, I was like, "Sorry, email, you're going away. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about this film." And uh, and yeah, if you liked First Reformed, I highly recommend As- uh, Adam Resurrected. Uh, so you can uh, get movie. For that and for uh, the other great movies, there is a special offer for listeners of Battleship Retention. If you have not already, you can try Mubi free for a month. Just go to Mubi.com, that's M-U-B-I.com slash Battleship to redeem now. Uh, and then this episode is also brought to you by the Dice Enthusiast Presents podcast. This podcast follows a group of friends trying to make it in a world where it seems like they have no control of the dice and even less control over their lives. Uh, in the final few episodes, the friends find themselves lost in depression while on vacation, trying their best to help each other, uh, to help out their friends, even though they can't really help themselves. And once a, revela- uh, once a revelation of one of the friends having a secret life is out in the open, the year seems to crumble apart and one of the players makes a terrible choice choice and attempt to solve their problems so catch up with uh the podcast at dice dice enthusiast presents uh or dice enthusiast.com so all right and that's it i i would like to tell you about tweakedaudio.com you see tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors they look great they sound great and Tyler and I use them each and every day. Lately, I've been, it's uh, cram time, so I've been, uh, much like I do with movies, I've been trying to listen to some of the best uh, albums of the Mm. year, specifically a lot of the best uh, metal albums today. I um, really enjoyed an album by a band called The Ocean, I think. Uh, That was really good. Um, I've also been listening to, I think, this is something I think you would, I know you're not a big metal guy, but I think you should check out a group called Zeal and Ardor. Zeal and Ardor. Yes. Okay. It is um, a sort of artsy experimental, or not experimental, but it's sort of an artsy hybrid of metal forms with uh, some like gospel. Okay. It's it's really good. It's also um, some pretty heavy stuff because a lot of it goes back to slavery and racism and, and stuff mm. like that. There's uh, heavy stuff, but, um, 
uh, it's not a great amount of tweaked All right. And, uh, those, those are available at a low, low price at tweakedaudio.com. But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And actually, I will say before we get into it, um, we do have a special deal right now for Christmas uh, on our Harry Potter commentaries. Um, We recorded the first four back in the spring and then the the last four a couple months ago. Um, And uh, we were selling them at $10 each separately, but just in time for Christmas, and this is for a limited time, it's only going to go for the next three weeks or so, uh, we are selling all eight Harry Potter commentaries uh, for... $15. $15. Okay. Yeah. So if you go to battleshippretension.com, you'll see an ad on the left hand side. It says Harry Potter commentaries, $15. Click on that. Uh, and then we will send them to you, uh, within a day or two. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah that's like 20 hours. Yeah. Of- I was going to say it's less than a dollar an hour. Yeah. Um, for something that, uh, drove us insane. Uh, yeah. On two different days. Absolutely. Uh, of 2018. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, I feel like we do a little sale like this every, um, every holiday season. Yeah. Uh, this one worked out, especially because, uh, because we have our two commentaries this year were one big thing. So this is your chance. If you, if you missed out on it, um, you've got a limited time here, uh, during the holidays to catch up on all again, 20 hours of us and our, uh, and your friends, uh, BP friends talking about Harry Potter. Like imagine actually like watching, Imagine doing it in in one weekend. That is so much us uh, and our wonderful guests. But I just I feel like the person you have the opportunity to go even crazier than we did. Yeah, because we had months in between uh, the first four and the second four. Yeah. You could allow yourself I don't know six hours in between and then get started again and just really really ruin your weekend. All right, let's get into it, shall we? Indeed. Um, what did you want to talk about? So I don't exactly remember where this came about, but um, okay, if I had to guess, I would say that I really need to stop listening for a number of reasons, I'm sure, to uh, political commentary, because all, all it does is bum me out. Um, yeah, I thought you had cut back on that. I had, and then I just fell back into it. It's hard. I, it's difficult because I do want to stay informed. Uh, I want to be, uh, up on, on things. Uh, and so what I do, which is first off, I, as a rule, don't watch or listen to news. I only read news. Yeah. That's part of it. And also I basically only read sites that, you know, your parents have heard of. I'm not like going to to the fringy sites. Like, the I read on the on on the, the slightly leaning left side. I read the the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the slightly mm-hmm. leaning leaning right side. I read the Wall Street Journal. What I can, so much of it. Yeah, the Wall Street Journal isn't just 
to the right. It's also the Wall Street Journal. So a lot of it is about stocks, and I don't understand. Yeah. But I do read the Wall Street Journal. I want to read Financial Times, but you can't get a an email newsletter for free from Financial Times. True to their name, it's a subscription only. <laughs> Whereas like Wall Street Journal, even if there's a paywall, I yeah. can for free. I can get the newsletter and I can click on a certain number of things a month or oh, whatever, and great. just read or, or just read the headlines and a little bit they give yeah. you. So. And then I would say the mo- the the craziest, fringiest thing I read only in that it's the newest. Mm-hmm. It's actually probably the least fringy is Politico, um, right? Yeah, yeah, because they essentially, for the most part, Politico covers politics. You know that stuff that affects everything that we and everyone else do mm. day in and literally governs and decides how people live their lives. Political covers it like it's sports and yeah. that weirdly makes it able to go down a little easier for me. And I can tell you one time they covered the Oscars. That's right. That's that was right. me last year. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so it is difficult. Like the thing is I have a very long commute and in fact, starting next semester, I'm going to have a longer commute more regularly. Uh, and so I was listening to audio. There's no shortage of podcasts. I know. I was listening to audiobooks today. I was. I, oh, okay. I started getting back into comedy. Bang bang. Um, I see oh. that uh, it, it had um, our friend Paul F. Tompkins and uh, Bobby Moynihan on it, and it was hilarious. I, I think I love all of Paul F. Tompkins' characters. He's not there as himself, um, and so there's that. Anyway, so I. But I do occasionally listen to uh, some political podcasts here and there, and and this is movie season, you know. Like the, it's it really is the season when when political commentators suddenly start talking about movies a little bit more because you're now assessing the year. And the Oscars are coming up and, yeah. and there are ceremonies, which means someone's going to say something. Uh, the, the Kevin Hart thing was happening. So uh, so I couldn't really get away from it. But uh, I and for the life of me and thankfully, I forget who said it, but somebody simply referred to film as escapism mm-hmm. and said and, and sort of decried the idea of movies that that are not interested in that, that are not interested in, uh, entertaining the audience and, and that kind of thing. Uh, I'm, I'm very, I'm very much paraphrasing here. And so it was ultimately like the person was saying like, why can't these movies like give us what we want? What we want is escapism. What we don't want are these really dour, like political allegories and that sort of thing. Now, of course, my, yourself. I know my first reaction <laughs> is like, Hey, uh, I'm here too. Yeah, buddy. Uh, but obviously, it, I mean, if you're like, especially for someone on the right, if people are going to see them, then there's a reason they exist. Right. <laughs> right. That's, that's the thing is, and that actually, that's a big part of my article recently about, uh, about Ben Shapiro, which is the <laughs> idea that's like, Hey, uh, a movie shouldn't necessarily like, just because a movie, made a lot of money and people like it like that doesn't entitle it to best picture. And similarly, if a movie was not seen by many people, that doesn't mean it should be, uh, banned from, or, or, you know, I don't know what you'd say excluded from the best picture category. Like, and, and it's where it's, it's where like the free, this, the political, the, the conservative, like free market thinking, which is, well, everybody really likes it. And so it must be it must be good. It's like that might work with a lot of products. Yeah. Commodities, but, but that's not what this is. Yeah. Anyway. So the think, point is, okay, I have more to say. 
Oh, undoubtedly. About um, that. But the point that I got to, not unlike when I was thinking about the, the Matt Walsh articles, like, okay, what is what does escapism mean? And this is not unlike when years ago when we had Jason on on the show and we're talking about the idea of overthinking a movie. Okay, in the sim- in the same way, like if someone says, "Oh, you're just overthinking," it's like, well, what does overthinking even mean? Like, I might be thinking about it exactly enough. I might be overthinking it for you. And similarly, one could make the argument that every movie is escapism. People mm-hmm. have a very de- and every movie is entertaining in its own way. If it's only as I think it is for you, uh, for you and, and me, if it's about engagement, emotional and intellectual engagement, then any movie, you know, First Reformed is one of the most entertaining movies I saw all year. It's not; it doesn't fit with the traditional definition of entertaining. But so it got me thinking: what qualifies as, esca- as escapism, and like defining that understanding that most people mean something that is a bit more fantastical, probably something that is a little bit outside of our reality. Um, and if that's the case, like where, where does escapism, what role does it play for people like you and me? Uh, Hmm. because I still do enjoy it. You know, the other night, uh, you know, I've got a big stack of screeners here, mm-hmm. movies that are very important, but I did just get Infinity War for Christmas, and so that's what I watched. You know it's not Christmas yet. Somebody sent it to me, and I opened it because I wanted to see... I There's some mix-up with Christmas lists, and I predict I'm going to be getting some things a couple of times. Um, How many different people... I have my mom, okay. and then Jen's family. Oh, okay. And yeah. it's, it's that. I pretty much have... My wife gets me stuff, right? And my mom does, and then my wife's family usually just gets me like gift cards and money, hey. and that already came because that's Hanukkah. That already right. That already happened. Yeah. Um, so and and also and Jen and I were also feeling kind of low the other night, and so we just looked at the presents under the tree that my mom sent us. We're like, yeah, all right, let's do this. I'm glad you say like, I'm glad you think of Infinity War as escapism because I feel like because of the way it ends, people yeah. talk about it like it's the heaviest movie of the year, but. It's, it's the really, heaviest escapist movie of the year. But, but also, that's just the very end. Like The movie's two hours and, what, 35 minutes long? Mm-hmm. Let's say 10 of that is credits. Sure. So two hours and 20 minutes of Infinity War is a total blast. Yeah. It's just the very end that is sad. And I do like, yeah, it's, uh, th- there's no question about it. Like As I was watching it, I, I, I do respect that movie more and more precisely because they draw out the fact that these characters have lost. And even though you and I are cynical movie people and we know that everything's going to be fine in the next one, <laughs> um, they didn't have to draw that out. They didn't have to treat, they didn't have to like really let the emotion sit with us. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's, I had a, like when I first saw it, I think I had a bit of a problem with, with that for the very reason that you're saying, like, I know, I know they're going to be fine. Like everything's going to be fine. Why is this going on so long? But I did once I sat with it for a day or two. Yeah. Um, I, I liked it. Um, but anyway, so like I, I opted the other night rather than watch the movies that I'm supposed to be watching. Um, I watched a movie that I, that would then be the third time that I saw it (laughs) and a movie that, is currently in my top 10, but I think it's going to be bumped out soon when I watch these other things. But, uh, it's a film that I really love and really respond to. 
but I, I felt like a bad movie person at that point. Uh, not just for seeing yeah. something I'd already seen, but for seeing that. Yeah. I don't think you should. I think you should always just watch what you want to watch. Um, but, uh, what I wanted to get before we get really into escapism, I wanted to go back to something you were saying about a movie that makes a lot of money. Doesn't necessarily mean it's good. Right. And that's true. Movie makes a lot of money. That just means the marketing worked or whatever, yeah. whatever sort of thing. But sometimes or it there tapped are, into something maybe, but sometimes there are movies and maybe this is, it, this is sort of a free market idea, but not the free market of actual commerce, the free market of cultural ideas mm-hmm. and opinions. Sometimes there's a movie that comes out that I don't like. Okay. And it makes a ton of money. And I, at first I'm just like, ah, that's just one of those movies that tends to make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But then you go to like, cause a lot of those movies that tend to make a lot of money get forgotten. Yeah. But you go to 10 years, 15 years later and people still love it. Does it make you go like, maybe there's something I was missing. And I'll give sure. you an example. I'll give you two examples, both from in a comedies. Uh, and one I never saw. I never saw the, the proposal. Okay. It was Ryan Reynolds and Sandra Bullock. Yeah. That movie made gobs of money for a romantic comedy, but no one talks about like, you don't see people tweeting and like tweeting about right. the proposal. They're not happy when it shows up on TBS or whatever. Like they're not making a musical. They haven't made a musical out of it or anything. Um, but then take legally blonde, which was also a movie that I didn't, which I did see and right. didn't care for, but here we are fifth more than what is it? 16 years. Was that 2002? That's, I think that's 2002, 16 years later, people still love legally blonde. Is there, I don't, I don't remember how you feel about the movie. If you, if you even saw it, but in a case like that, there's a part of you that goes, maybe th- there must be something there. Yeah. Uh, it definitely, if something sticks around, I do think other things come into play. There was a sequel, a sequel will keep a movie in the public consciousness a little bit longer. Um, okay. For a little bit longer, but still like, you know, I feel that way about fast and furious, which is like, Oh, uh, I didn't see it. And I was very quick t- to dismiss it, but I guess it did. You know, it stuck around. It's like, well, it stuck around cause there's eight of them, but then there's eight but of no, them because, because, people, because, yeah, because yeah. people, yeah, because people keep seeing them. And so, yeah, I do think that there is an argument to be made you know, on one hand, you get you have stuff like Night of the Hunter, which people didn't see. And as time has gone on, admittedly, film people uh, more than the average uh, Joe um, just absolutely treasure that movie. But you could take in a more populous way. It's a Wonderful Life. Was sure, a movie there that you was go. A, That's great. That's uh, perfect. A, 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 a kind of a bomb, right? Yeah. Um, and only uh, what year is Wonderful Life? 46, 47. OK, so it wasn't until. 20 years later that it started yeah. showing up on TV every year. And then people, yeah, now it's a, it's a classic. And in but, our lifetime movies like office space and big Lebowski, like the work cult classics. Yeah. And now people just know them, but that's, the, that's not what I'm talking about. The almost the opposite, the movie that the critics dismiss in a mm-hmm. way. Right. Yeah. I'm saying that like, that's like we have one version and then there's the other with it. We tend not to talk about which is like, Hey, this movie may be, we may have thought it was shit and it might actually be shit, but it is shit that actually seemed to connect with people. And so does that, doesn't that make it not shit? I know this isn't the, the, the topic, but I've been thinking right. about this a lot lately. Um, and I've, a lot of the, unfortunately, a lot of the examples that I've come up with, and I wonder if this has to do with um, the things that, you know, we've talked about the demographics of, critics a mm-hmm. lot in over the over recent years and i don't mean you and me specifically but in the film world like the stuff like i mentioned legally blonde 
Pretty Woman is a movie that I still don't like. Sure. But obviously, I'll, like, it means something to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and these movies that were not critically very well received, is is that because of something that critics were missing because they're critics? Or is it something that seemed not to be critically well received because of because it's a movie that is not aimed at the demographics that most critics are and especially were 15, 20 years ago. It could is it be, some blend of those yeah, things? It could be that. I think when something sticks around, this is how I feel, and I recognize, you know, it's directed by Brian De Palma and all that, but this is how I feel about Scarface, the, the 83 Scarface remake. Like, I did not like it when I first saw it. I've seen I, it since. Still don't like yeah, it. Yeah, I don't like it. See, I, I actually did like it when I first saw it, and then I oh, grew okay. up, and I was like, oh, this is stupid. <laughs> okay. <laughs> A lot of people absolutely love it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. a lot of people cite it as like one of their favorite movies ever. And now I can't just because a lot of people like it, that doesn't mean that I, I will say I'll give it another, another look. I'll give it another thought. And if I still don't see it, I'm not going to say, well, I'm wrong. <laughs> uh, if anything, I'll say I'm right. Uh, because you know, I know what I'm talking about and I do, you know, I've got that masters from UCLA, but the point is, um, okay. No, I've, I've gone to that joke a couple of times, but you're right. I am right. But at the same time, like it's come on, who gives a shit? And so, uh, but no, it's UCLA. It's not like you got your masters from USC. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Jake Bart. (laughs) Anyway, the point is, um, the, but I will, I think I will say, you know, we quoted Jimmy Pardo earlier that, uh, he, there were times when like he would reference a movie on stage and the crowd would react. And it was a movie that he'd, he'd reference twilight or something like that. And the audience would react and he interrupts what he's saying to say like, it's not for you. All right. Uh-huh. And, and similarly, I do think that like, if there's a movie like Scarface, which is like, all right, this has never affected me positively like i've never been able to engage with it but brian de palma directed it al pacino's in it along with a number of other really good uh actors and it's not working for me it worked for other people so maybe it just wasn't for me yeah so there it, it must connect with someone in some other way but just not for me and i have my reasons yeah um i this is we're so far off topic yeah but a similar thing recently a movie that in some ways is very much for me in terms of politics. Mm. But when I'm going to sit, I think to go back to what you were talking about before we did the ads, like when I'm, when I'm sitting in front of a movie, I'm, I'm a cinema person first often. And so I really truly wish that I loved the hate you give. Right. I didn't hate it. I think, in fact, I think parts of it are really strong and really well done. It's beautifully shot by that guy whose name is crazy. Okay. Uh, Mihai Milamere, whatever the oh, guy yeah, who yeah. made the, who shot the master, I think. Um, there's so many things that are great about it, but then there are also so many things that feel so forced and hackneyed and run in the mill about it that I couldn't love it as much as the, you know, the SJW and me wanted to love it. Right. Um, well, a movie still has it, to do its job. That's uh, the thing, you it, know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I wish I loved it more, but apparently speaking of the prestigious organizations, I'm a member of the LA online film critics society all loved it. I mean, apart from me because they nominated for best picture. I believe they gave it best picture. I mean, they, they? I'm sorry. Yes. That's what I meant. They gave it best picture. Yeah. Uh, Boy, good. that was surprising. Yeah, good for them. Yeah. 
I voted for Madeline's Madeline. Or <laughs> 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 right, I nominated Madeline's Madeline. Didn't make the nominations. I'm sure of the nominations, I probably went with Roma or A Star is Born. Stands to reason. Yeah. Um, uh, anyway. do, you think, do you think they're being contrarian? They're like, you know what? We are not going to go with the ones that all the other critics are going to do. We're going to do our own thing. I don't know. I mean, it's not, it's a voting body of, it's not as huge as the online film critics society. Sure. It's like, I don't know. There's like 40, 50 people in mm-hmm. the LA OFCS. So I guess when you've got a smaller body like that, it can be, you can get some interesting results because you're not getting a watered down consensus. You know, yeah. one vote goes a long, a longer way. That's uh, true. Yes. Yeah. Like voting um, for the Senate in Montana, as opposed to voting for the Senate for a Senator in California or voting for almost anything in California. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, there's a lot of us. Anyway, back to escapism. Here's why I'm so glad you brought up escapism when okay. you did. Because, again, last night, I saw Mortal Engines. Okay. Which I hated. But the point is, I was I had this escapism thing in my mind, and I was like, well, this is a bajillion dollar movie, right? Mm-hmm. Huge special effects, uh, visual effects spectacle extravaganza, right? Mm-hmm. This is popcorn escapist fair, right? Well, no. Like every other young adult adaptation for the last nearly decade, yeah. it's a dystopian science fiction movie. So this goes to what is, it's almost trite to point out, it's been pointed out so much, but the mainstream cinema or just popular entertainment of an era says something, speaks to something about that era whether it was even necessarily intended to consciously sure. or not. And so to me, in a way there's really no such thing as escapism because every movie is a mirror. Yeah. Every work of art is a mirror. Um, that's reflecting back, uh, especially the people who were seeing it at the time that it came out. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to talk about three different, I had, I don't know how you, who you had structured anything. Here. I did not. Um, but it I seemed like a good old fashioned BP unstructured conversation. So I broke and I, with some help from some research, I did three different kinds of quote unquote escapism. Oh, this is exciting. Okay. Right. Again, I wish I did a bunch of research and I can't remember where I read this and I kind of also kind of adapted it to my okay. own thinking. One of them, fantasy, literally leaving the sure. world. Right. Yeah. Another one period pieces okay. leaving the present right. and often getting a somewhat rosy colored view of the past. Cause a lot of period pieces tend to take place among the upper classes. Yeah. You know, there aren't as many period pieces about how truly awful life must've been. If you were say a surf, right. You know what I mean? Um, it's always about the Lords, you know, unless it's a Western or Charles Dickens. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, more on Dickens uh, next week. Um, Indeed. And then the third, and this is where I really wish I had written down where I read this, but I credit. Um, and I can't remember what they, they didn't have a, a, a pithy name for it or, or a shortened name for it. So I called it sanitization. Movies that take place theoretically within our reality. Okay, yeah. In, in, in our modern day. Mm-hmm. But in which the problems that plague the world have been excised from the movies. I'll go back to romantic comedies. A lot of romantic comedies, okay. um, you know, are, uh, are about this. Um, and a lot of them aren't, but a lot of the bad ones, I think maybe yeah. do that, but there are good ones too, right? That romance in general is, 
it, it is a uh, um, a subgenre, or whatever, of movies that pretty much just focuses on the positive um, elements of love and of and of life. And except a lot of romances are also tragic romances, but I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about the like the movies about people falling in love, where the biggest the biggest obstacle is that for a week they're like, oh, maybe they're not going to fall in love because she was, he was talking about this and she overheard him, but she, she yeah. thought he meant something else. And then she just didn't talk to him for a week. Right. Uh, I hate that, but to, to bring up uh, trifecta now to bring up Jimmy Pardo, once again, uh, so many romantic comedies could be resolved with a post-it note. Yeah. Um, and I, so I want to talk about how I think with mortal engines, I kind of got how fantasy is not really, uh, escapism. Right. Right. I think period pieces are definitely not really escapism because I think there's a, you can always make a correlation to like, well, why are we telling this? Why are we going to this part of history? Exactly. Now? Yeah. You know, why are we going to this story now? But what about, what about the third category? What about movies that take place? Um, and I feel like I, I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm focusing on so-called women's movies, but like Hallmark movies. Sure. Um, you know, things tend to be pretty easy. The stakes tend to be pretty low. Um, like is, is that the true form of escapism? Well, so in thinking about this myself, uh, I arrived pretty much at the third one. Um, and the way I described it to myself was it's an alternate reality where, you know, the way you described it is like the problems of the world are taken out. It's like, well, depending on the movie, not all of them. One could say that, that like the films, films based on Elmore Leonard. Okay. That's escapism. Some problems of the world have been taken out. Others have been, have, have stayed and have been expanded a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like in the world of like the, like the crime, not necessarily the crime drama, but, uh, cause I think escapist, Film, uh, drama rare, is rarely escapist. If it starts to become escapist, it usually becomes melodrama. Like things become heightened yeah. and overblown a bit um, to the point where it's not super recognizable. I think that's that's that to me. If you are able to recognize the the world of the movie as almost a one to one parallel uh, of your own, then you're not escaping. You're not actually mm-hmm. going anywhere. Now, um, what about uh, so a couple of things? I okay. think sometimes with the I was focusing on movies that are advertised towards women. I don't want to say women's movies cause I tend to, I tend to like, I, yes. I like romances a lot. Yeah. Uh, I, I like that kind of stuff. Um, but, and maybe the reason I wasn't thinking about, you know, male focused escapist movies is because it's a different thing that I hadn't considered. It's, it's not that they don't have problems. It's that their problems are not problems that we would ever have to deal with. None of us, is ever going to have to uh, keep our heart rate rate above whatever, <laughs> like Jason Statham and Crank, right? right. Yeah, like yeah. that's you know, uh, so that's not certainly not a movie that's conflict free, right. but it is escapist in that the conflict it, is <laughs> uncommon. Yeah, um, uh, and so uh, I felt like there was more that I was going to say uh, in regards to that, but um, uh, so that's another kind of escapism I hadn't thought about, and here's one. I don't know if escapism is the right word, but if we think of escapism, I think a lot of 
again, to use the word, the term we keep using this episode, non-movie people or mm-hmm. regular movie people yeah. tend to think of, or you'll hear a phrase about like movies that you don't have to think about, or you can turn off your I brain, turn off your brain, that yeah. sort of thing. Absolutely. And I actually, this being award season, there's a kind of movie that I really hate that sounds like it's not escapism, but it is, I think actually trying to get people to turn off their brains. Okay. And that's things like boy erased and green book, which are movies that are on the surface. They're about, Oh, these are real problems, Mm -hmm. but they are absolutely at every turning point, discouraging you to think critically about them. Mm -hmm. They are encouraging you to just sit there and bask in your own self affirmation for being like, ah, I'm a person who recognizes that gay conversion therapy is psychological and physical torture or recognizes that racism is wrong, you know? And because I'm here, I'm doing my part. So I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's, um, really just there to flatter the audience. Uh, I was going to say fillet the audience, but maybe that's a little too, I don't know. No, I said it. So flatter uh, is fine. Um, (laughs) Um, yeah. uh, uh, and that's, I don't know. Again, I don't really think escapism truly exists in art at all. Sure. But that is a kind that people, I think we don't think about, but there is a kind of movie that is a quote unquote issues movie, but also discourages critical thought along those lines. Uh, this is probably painting with too broad a brush, but do you feel like there is an element to escapism where intellect, not to imply intelligence, but like an intellectual approach is played down and emotional and an emotional approach is played up. Like you're not necessarily supposed to think about these movies. You're supposed to feel them, but that's not escapism because you feel too, right? Like you seldom at the same time for me, <laughs> that's not true. Uh, but you know what I mean? Like the, it's like I said, it's, it's maybe too broad a brush, but like green book and I've not seen boy erased, but those are movies that I think, uh, well, I'll just speak for Green Book. It's it's escapist entertainment, a hundred percent. Well, I'm sure some people would disagree with that, but I feel like it's not a movie that you're supposed to think about. I think it's a movie that you're it's supposed to hit you on an instinct, gut level, and you're supposed to feel your way through. And that's not necessarily to delegitimize it. I think the issue comes when it thinks that it's more than that than right. it is, uh, and is certainly put out. Well, that's a marketing thing, and that's but the film I think thinks it's making some really good points when in fact it is reaffirming something that you know and something that is not a bad thing to be reaffirmed, but it's almost purely instinctive. It's that, it's that old idea of like, it's like, Oh, it's a, it's a, it's in your gut. You feel it in your gut. You know, you never say you think it in your gut, you know, but there's also, that's, I think there's different layers to emotional response as well. I think there are, um, one of my favorite phrases, which I have, uh, well, you know, they say that, uh, what is it? Greatness borrows, genius steals. Exactly. So there are. Let's look at some genius here. Uh, there is a, there is a <laughs> phrase that I had read mo- more than once in Jonathan Rosenbaum that I have, I will fully admit, have lifted and uh, used in my reviews. Yeah. But it's the phrase uh, lightweight uplift. Sure. Um, which I think is the idea that it's what you're talking about, but it's it's just the superficial. It's almost like a. Um, what, what do you what do you call it? like a reflex like mm-hmm. a reflex response yeah it's appealing to like there were movies that i hated that i cried during yeah you know yeah um like uh i wouldn't know i wouldn't say i hate this but uh um do you remember the movie if i stay with chloe grace moretz a few years ago vaguely um, 
very emotional movie. I cried more than once in the movie. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's a good movie at all. No. But but then there are movies that I think take you uh, somewhere deeper in your emotions. They, you experience emotions you didn't necessarily expect to experience when you paid for your ticket and sat down sure. uh, in in the theater. Um, uh, I keep thinking of Nicholas Rogue because, like I say, I've been <laughs> watching Nicholas mm-hmm. Rogue uh, movies um, uh, a lot. But you know, Walkabout, which has always been my favorite of of his movies, is a it's a real journey, and mm-hmm. it definitely puts you like a lot of Nicholas Rogue movies do. Um, some more preposterously than others. This one is a little bit lower on the preposterousness scale. So yeah, it puts you through the the ringer, and you feel things you weren't expecting to feel. Sometimes Nicholas Rogue will try and get you. I shouldn't talk about him so much because we're going to do an episode. Yeah, yeah. But he will try to... It's several weeks from now. Don't yeah, worry about it. He will sort of intentionally try to milk eroticism from something that you intellectually are like, this is not supposed to be erotic. Right. And so I think that that's that's not intellectual. That's emotional. Right. But it's different than just that lightweight uplift. Yeah, it's... And so the question then is, like, what would you describe as intellectual escapism you know or or escapism well, that again, hits you on really an intellectual think, level i don't really think escapism exists is the thing okay um i i mean sometimes it's hard to, there are certain things i don't think you've seen mary poppins returns yeah i have not i've sent you multiple screening invites you haven't been able I'm to make it busy as are we all um i found time to see it um but it is like I'm molding minds, my friend. (laughs) All right. Yeah. It's usually just like, Hey, let's watch Batman returns, but okay. Uh, But yeah, Mary Robbins returns definitely feels like, Oh, maybe that is escapism. I think there's something about, Oh, here's something I think about a lot that cut that, that kind of applies to this because I, um, tend to be as a leftist, I tend to be very class conscious. Sure. And so I can't help but notice how often in mainstream movies, the characters are of above average wealth. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's, and there's a part of me that's like, this is bullshit. This is dishonest about the actual way of life of most people. But then you also have to remember, well, sometimes there's something, maybe a lot of the time it's not, uh, a negative thing for a person to be aspirational. Sure. I, again, getting back to my leftist, uh, uh, BS, um, I don't think we should define aspiration as just moving up the economic ladder. Sure. But that is a part of it. And that is a part of the pursuit of happiness in the United States of America. And so seeing people, you know, even though Mary Poppins is a movie about, Ben Wish, Mary Poppins Returns is a movie about Ben Wishaw's character theoretically going through a foreclosure, a potential foreclosure on his home, and he has to save the home. This isn't, he isn't Andrew Garfield in 99 Homes. This right. is, we know what's going to happen. Mary Poppins is going to come down from the sky and yeah. somehow find a way to save the home. So There's just a like, big bag of money here. <laughs> yeah, we know from the Let's beginning go on an adventure. it's, it's going to be okay. Um, and uh, I don't think that, so, so I, again, like with my snobby reaction to the guy who loved Bohemian Rhapsody, I need to, I need to check myself and check yeah. my, my, uh, 
Well, you should always check your privilege. I don't think that's what this is. This is uh, check your snobbery. I don't know. Uh, check your pretensions. Um, yeah. Uh, and check your assumptions, I think, yeah. maybe is a big part of it. Like, yeah. Sort of, because I think there is, it, it, similarly, when I was responding in my mind to uh, the Matt Walsh article, I'm sort of assuming that he has the same, not even, not even, uh, not even expectations or anything like that, but that he has the same definitions of things that I do. And it's just, why can't like, well, we already, we, we agree on this. So why can't you just think logically? And it's like, well, Uh we don't agree on that. Like there's, I just made an assumption there. And so I think, yeah, that's a, that's a big part of it. So yeah, Um, yeah, these like, there's one thing um, that I think liberals, especially white liberals, um, can be very condescending without thinking about it. Um, mm. that's not, that's not news to anyone, especially not to anyone sitting opposite me at this table. Yeah. Um, but, uh, um, you know, the, we, it's not our job to watch out for the lower income people who are going to the movies. They're not going to be offended by the fact that the Kevin McAllister lives in a mansion. Yeah. Right. Maybe that's what they want to see. Right. You know, who knows? Or, you know, one person might want to see something different. Another person that reminds me speaking of, that's why the reason I said white liberals is think about how often, you know, a white liberal filmmaker or storyteller, when they set a movie, their, their sympathetic, empathetic movie about black Americans, it's like the projects or it's a sharecropper or something like that, you know, and how often black filmmakers make movies about middle-class and of middle-class black people because they exist. Of course they exist. And, uh, the people, black, black Americans who were lower down the chain don't need to, uh, be protected from the fact that some people have money and this is America. Hopefully you can have money someday too. I think there are some things that need to change, but, uh, being, there's a difference between being, uh, dishonest and bourgeois and being aspirational. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, and I, and I think maybe liberals, especially white liberals like myself, um, tend to not give as much credence to the latter. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a college humor sketch. that's very funny, uh, called, uh, I'm not poor, I'm black. And it's, and it's like the, the, the staff, like the, one of the black staff writers, uh, like they're all going out to eat or something. And, and like this one and like a white woman is saying, it's like, it's like, we, I mean, I can, I can pay for this thing. He's like, no, it's, it's wait, it's fine. What? <laughs> like, and just, and it's, and it's very funny. It's, it's, yeah. uh, like there's, there's, it's, whenever you want, like if you, in, in an attempt to try to be sympathetic towards somebody, which is not a bad instinct. Um, yeah, it's always possible to be reductive of them. Um, and, uh, condescending. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, so yeah. Um, so my question, so now that we've firmly established escapism as something that may or may not actually exist, uh, This show is such bullshit. Just, not this episode, just in general. Like, yeah. uh, we we make jokes about how we just swirl around something and come to no conclusions. But I actually like the fact that in this case, we've gone further back. Uh-huh. We actually uh, were like Marty Sherman in the in the critic, where he tries to do the high jump or, or the long <laughs> jump and winds up behind the line. Um, I feel like that's where we are right now. Damn, that's a good show. Um, and so, uh, but what I will say is that like. 
I wonder I feel like we can't keep going to this well, but it's something lately we've been talking about a lot. It's like, you know, it when you see it, uh, <laughs> escapism, or certainly, you know, you know, when you see the trailer for it. Uh, but uh, but I was I was wondering, like, what role? Oh. But I don't know. I don't know that I agree Again, okay. because it's still my I'm not convinced that escapism is something that actually exists. OK, okay. because I, I think I think of it more like this. Um, like I said, populist entertainment tends to reflect back the time in which in which it was made. Sure. So, quote unquote, escapist movies are actually often more like like our dreams. Like, sure, I might not have a dream that's literally about what's going on in my life, mm-hmm. but the things that are going on in my life are absolutely affecting the 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 dreams that I have. So maybe the conversation should be more about intention. Uh, versus execution because a filmmaker can go in, you know, Roland Emmerich. There we go. Roland Emmerich. Yeah. Can go, can decide I'm going to make a Godzilla movie. Uh, and it's just going to be fun. It's going to be a pop, a popcorn entertainment. That's all it's going to be like. That's his intention. Uh, but regardless of how hard he tries, like he's not going to be able to make a movie that is 100% escapism. Yeah. I mean, exactly. Uh, yeah. He, I mean, especially someone who makes disaster movies like that's sure. clearly about, that's clearly going to reflect back some of our cultural anxieties. Yeah. Um, but Godzilla, I only saw it the once, but, um, I tried to pick um, the movie that maybe is least informed by anything, but who's, who's the mayor? It's, um, it's Michael Lerner, Michael Lerner. And isn't he a very nineties Clinton era, backboneless leader type. Yeah. And because uh, you see a lot of in the nineties American cinema, you see a lot of, um, leaders like Mars attacks is a great example. Cause I rewatched sure. that recently leaders who are too hesitant, too trepidatious yeah. about acting. And there's usually power. a military man uh, off to the side saying, no, we should absolutely do that. You know, Rod Steiger and <laughs> Mars attacks. Yeah. Uh, incidentally, um, do you yeah. know the name of Michael, Michael Lerner's character in Godzilla? Oh, isn't it like Ebert? Or his Cisco? last name is, is Ebert. And then like his personal assistant, he just calls him, his name is Gene. So <laughs> that's like a doubly insulting to Gene Siskel. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Not only does he make fun of, making fun of critics, but he's clearly establishing a hierarchy. Yeah. Uh, that's hilarious. Um, uh, but yeah, see, I mean, that's, I'm glad you brought up Godzilla because that allowed me to bring up Mars attacks and say that even movies that are not, you know, on the surface, uh, quote unquote about stuff yeah, are still, and yet, and yet, what do they say? What are the, the two industries that are recession proof, right? Okay. Movies and the mafia. There, right? there you go. And it's true. This is actually, this is actually, I'm glad you, I brought this up. Um, thank you, David, for bringing this up. Um, uh, something else I looked at today, which is that that's not a hundred percent true. Um, a nothing's truly recession proof, but sure. also it's not true that those are the only two things. A lot of what this, uh, article called experiential consumption goes up during recessions. Mm-hmm. You know, people buy less stuff maybe, but they go on more cruises during recessions which is crazy but like having experiences and i think that's a kind of escapism and this goes back i'm going to bring it full circle not full circle but part circle back to something else we were talking about even the modern day movies the love stories that take place in modern day and and excise all of the 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 tragedies and the social ills that go on in the world right that's an hour and a half two hours 
who knows what's going on in that world. I try to be as socially conscious as I can. I try to do some good with my money. Um, I could probably do more good with my time in terms of volunteering, but, um, uh, I, I try, I try to do some good, but also sometimes I'll just have a nice night when my wife and I go out for dinner and yeah. drinks or dinner and a movie and we have a date. And for a couple of hours, I am not thinking about all the things that are awful in the world. So it's not truly escapism to have a movie that cuts those things out for 90 minutes because, or, or, or it is escapism, but it's the kind that we practice in our daily lives all the time. Yeah. I mean, a great example of this is actually in a movie, bicycle thieves, like the character has lost his bike, which means losing his job. He doesn't have much money, but there comes a moment where he decides he never officially says, fuck it. But he might as well, and he takes his son out for like this amazing, rather expensive meal that he cannot uh, afford. Uh, certainly making his situation worse, but it's what he needed at that moment. It reminds me of a Arrested Development joke where Ron Howard's uh, after a big like family blow up. Ron Howard's narration said it was at this point that Michael made a decision, and Jason Bateman goes, "Well, I'm getting some ice cream." <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. that uh, that goes. To, uh, the idea of, uh, I feel like I have heard this less than I did maybe seven or eight years ago, but the term first world problems sure. is kind of condescending in itself because like people in the third world still sometimes have a nice day yeah. or they worry about, you know, trivial shit or whatever. Like they're not, they're still human beings. Yeah. Uh, uh yeah. So, uh, to go back to something you've said before and that I've repeated, which is, uh, you know, don't. I can't remember how exactly you said it, but don't like you don't strain yourself trying to be offended on someone else's behalf. Yeah. Be offended if you're offended. Yeah. Right. And like, cause I'm not, I, I want to say, I'm not, when I say that, I'm not saying only be offended by things that affect you directly. It's okay right. to be offended if something offends sure. you, but to see something and go, I think I'm supposed to be offended by that. And then be offended. Right. You're there's a, there's a pretty high chance you're going to end up coming off as condescending. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So, okay, let's see. So where are we, uh, in, in this discussion? I think I actually hit all of my points that I wanted to make. Um, so the question is, okay, so if escapism cannot truly exist because a filmmaker cannot help, but bring in, uh, the, the world around them, even if they try not to, if they're trying not to, that is itself still a re in its own way, exactly. a reaction yeah. to exactly. the world around them. And that's um, why, and because, and because film, even the, the, the light, the lightest weight of uplift, uh, <laughs> every film needs conflict and conflict is going to be, even if, even if it's a fantasy film or something like that, it is going to be informed by, the 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 world or the sensibilities uh at the time of creation and so do you think i think it's possible to make a film without conflict in it that's still good don't you think it's possible i can't think of one off the top of my head the conflict might not be quite so like you know my favorite movie nashville what's the conflict there well humans but it's still a depressing movie i'm thinking about just a movie (laughs) that's like i don't know if it's just like a Day in the life of some people going to the park and having a nice day. Sure. I could see that being a nice movie <laughs> if it's if it's well made. Yeah. Okay. There's. I don't need them to like get into a fight or find a dead body or anything. Right. Okay. Uh, I would say you probably don't need conflict for every movie, but 
I do think that, frankly, even if you start to, even if someone goes about trying to make a movie without conflict, they will find that there is some, a conflict could simply be needing to overcome an obstacle. And the obstacle right. could be, we need a picnic basket and we don't have one. Right. Where are we going to get one? Yeah. You know, whatever what, it Yeah, is. there's a sequence of all the people in the park yeah. trying to do the Johnny Depp, Benny, and June thing with the bench. <laughs> And like it takes them a few tries to get it right. It's like that's your conflict right there. It's fun to watch. Yeah, but it's conflict. It's a good thing that uh, that the term first world problems is out of fashion (laughs) by the time this fake movie you and I came came up with uh, has has come into play. But um, but even so. Okay, because now I'm I'm I think I'm I'm on board with you, and I like I'm always a big fan of of exploring the idea of unintended stuff. Mm-hmm. So this person, this is why every once in a while, Armand White is right. Every once in a while, I, it is as you started talking about this. I did have the thoughts like I see where he's coming from. Yeah, uh, that a person cannot divorce themselves from the the things yeah. that influence them. What's, what was the terrible Adam Sandler movie where he played the brother and Jack sister. and Jill. That's Jack the and big Jill. one. It's terrible, but it's almost worth seeing for Armin White's review, which about is about like internalized anti anti-Semitism. Yeah, it's like yeah. preposterous, but also like, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. no, it's there. I still, uh, I mean, Armin White, I think I stuck with him for a little longer than other people, sure. but he has, he jumped the shark. I think when, when, uh, Donald Trump. Slave? Oh, uh, no, when Donald Trump was elected and he was saying things, I think I unfollowed him finally on Twitter when he was like, wow, cheers. Yeah. I followed him on Twitter for a while, but he was like, cheers to Sean Spicer, the only man in Washington willing to tell the truth or something like that. <laughs> and I was like, well, you're just, you're, I mean, I'm five, I'm six years late, but you're just trolling <laughs> at that point. <laughs> yeah. I know that's what everyone else has been I saying. I mean, he's still, he still has a good relationship with national review. Uh-huh. He still his his reviews still get posted there. The comments are still people just fascinated and infuriated by the way he talks uh-huh. and the way that he, he writes. Um, he also but, liked this year. He likes support the girls. So, so all right. I, which is, that's in my top five right now. So, yeah, I feel like his, his, column could just be called stopped clock (laughs) every (laughs) once in a while. Um, but, uh, but I will say that. So, okay, let's talk about this picnic movie. All right. With no conflict at all, it will still be. So, uh, you know, my, my suggestion was, you know, most movies have conflict. And even if the conflict is simply, uh, an obstacle that needs to be overcome, even what defines an obstacle is going to be, uh, uh, informed by the world around us. Right. Uh, and similarly, a movie that it, that has no conflict that is meant to just be pleasant. Well, the definition of pleasant is going to be informed by the world around us. Right. Um, and I'm sure there will be, I'm not usually, I don't usually think this way, but, uh, what is the, uh, what is the, the, the makeup of this, of this cast, you know, where, what city are they in? Does the city actually look like that? Or are they, did they purposely find the good part of the city? You know what? I, oh, that's a good point. Like there's, there's a lot of stuff go, that goes into that. And so I'm saying New Orleans, Riverside park. Okay. Or a park along the river. I don't know if there's a park called Riverside park, but yeah. a park along the river, uh, Vietnamese family. All right. <laughs> okay. Let's do it. Uh, but yeah. And so, um, so the question then is, uh, 
understanding that in its purest, you know, in, 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 in the purest definition of the word, escapism is not possible. Um, similarly, it's that idea, which I don't think I necessarily agree with, that it's not possible to make a truly anti-war mm-hmm. film. I think it's like, well, truly, that's 100%. And it's like, I don't, I don't think the concept of anti-war is ever 100%. Um, like like even even the most virulent like pacifist like anti-war protester is still going to understand that every once in a while maybe not in this particular instance uh it would be fun to shoot someone <laughs> that, that, that's where you're going right? well that it's ne- that it's that force is necessary uh yeah, yeah, to yeah. to stop some somebody from doing something anyway um but uh so i don't necessarily agree with that that anti-war movie thing that like or maybe I maybe I do that uh, that well you can never truly do it. it's like well that's because truly it doesn't exist so how about it's possible to make uh, as much of an anti-war movie as possible yeah. and one that is much more anti-war than pro-war uh, but I will say that um, with escapism looking at it the way we have been um, there are still films that that are consciously from an, uh, from a filmmaker intention standpoint are, tr- are not trying to tackle anything really that important or stuff that is in the, that is in the forefront of our mind as a culture. Um, it will still be informed by these other things, but it is not attempting that it's not steering into it. It's not JFK. It's not, uh, it's not Detroit or something like that, which again is still a period piece technically. Um, you know, it's not one of those movies. And so my question is with the movies that we're talking about and you're, you know, you were talking about romantic comedies that where the, the issues of the day have no place. They're mm-hmm. not there. Um, you know, I was talking earlier about, um, feeling kind of bad for watching infinity war when I've got a big stack of much more important movies. And I don't just mean important in, in so far as like the time of year, but movies that people of our ilk would say are so much more thoughtful and impactful and that sort of thing. I've got a stack of them sitting there. I opted to watch this thing. Uh, and you said that I shouldn't feel bad about it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, at what point is that not true? Never. Never? Yeah. If I, if, okay, I recognize that this, that the context of this podcast then requires that maybe we see more things, but if I decided, you know what? I'm not interested in Roma. I'm not seeing Roma, but I'm still going to, I'm still going to contribute to the BPs. I'm still going to contribute my top 10 having not seen this film that you yourself know is really impactful. Yeah, I would tell you. I would tell you to remember three years ago when I never saw Mad Max Fury Road, Boy, which yeah. won like the Village Voice, rest in peace, Village Voice, mm-hmm. uh, critics poll or whatever that okay. year. Like, you don't have to see anything. You don't have to see anything. Uh-huh. If, it, if you don't want to see it, you don't have to see it. You can't see everything. So who's to That's say true. that just because it's, I don't know? Roma isn't necessarily the best art. I think it's implied that our top 10 lists every year are top 10 movies that we saw. Of course. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying that all 10 of the movies that I saw in 2015 were better than Mad Max Fury Road. I'm saying those are the 10 best movies that I saw. Yeah. Mad Max Fury Road might be better than all of them. I wouldn't know. I never saw it. Are you ever going to see it? <laughs> it doesn't seem likely at this point. 
<laughs> Look, that ship has sailed. I know I'm still officially alive, do, but come on. Do you speaking of the, going back to like the t- passage of time and feeling old thing? Like this is the first year. 2018 is the first year that I've realized movies that I've been meaning to catch up on are 10 years old. Like oh, I keep, yeah. I've just been assuming that I was going to get around to Tropic Thunder at some point. Mm. I've still never seen it. I don't, I don't know. Anything. It's not, it's not Mad Max Fury Road. I'm not going out of my way not to see it. Like yeah. I am with Mad Max Fury Road, my least favorite movie of all time. Um, no, Tropic Thunder is a movie that I meant to see. And I just, it's still just sort of been on my list. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm going to get to Tropic Thunder one of these days and it's 10 years old now. <laughs> There are movies, I'd say, movies that have come out in the last 20 years that are in this weird no-man's land. Like, if it's a movie from last year or this year, and I haven't seen it and I want to, it's likely I will. Mm-hmm. If there's a movie from the 70s that I haven't seen and I've been meaning to, it's likely I will. If there's a movie from the early 2000s that I haven't seen, okay. it, it's just going to drift well, you know, away. I never our... saw was All the Real Girls. I never saw it. I oh, heard it was great. That. That's... Yeah, I'm sure I should. No, I think you'd like that. Um, our editor at large, Scott and I has a similar thing. His is a much nearer window. It's, okay. it's within the last five years. He says, basically sure. if he misses a movie, the year it comes out of the year after, then it sort of goes into a ditch for five years and he yeah. doesn't think about it. And then maybe after five years. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, 20 years is probably a little bit, a little bit too big, yeah, especially like all the real girls, uh, by the especially way. now because like, okay, so we're now getting to the point where the nineties are almost like 20 years ago are almost done. If that makes sense. Like right. I think about like In two okay, years, 20 years ago will no longer be the nineties. Exactly. Yes. Right. Um, and so at that point, those movies can be in my mind sort of seen as like, not, not literally classic, but the, at that point it's like, all right, if something I have not seen from the nineties, but people are still kind of talking about it now, it's been 20 years. All right. I guess it's, well, uh, quote unquote worth seeking out. I go with 25 in a way okay. to think of a movie as a classic because I'm just going by rock and roll hall of fame rules. Sure. Which again, speaking of feeling old this year, Radiohead first ballot rock and roll hall of famer. That means it's been 25 years since Radiohead's first release. Wow. <laughs> but that's true. Right. Right. Pablo yeah. honey was like 93, right? Uh, I know very little about Radiohead, but, but you've heard the song creep. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That yeah. was 25 years ago at this point. Wow. Um, <laughs> So yeah, it was just, I think it's just announced today that they, um, are going to be one of the inductees. Hey, first good ballot. For good for them. First ballot. There you yeah. go. The zombies are going in for the first time this year and they have been around for 50 years, 55, more than that. I don't know. It's anyway, po- at some point I would like to do an episode about the national film registry. Oh, um, because yeah. they just announced like the movies that they're going to be incorporating this year. And some higher profile movies like the shining are, are going to be there. And I think much, I think some movies like Jurassic park is going to be on there, but then also similarly to what you're talking about, uh, the old, uh, John Ford film, the informer, which I adore. Oh, um, it's, Oh, it's great. Uh, from like 1935 or something like that. And so it's just like, all right, so what, what took so long on the informer? <laughs> yeah. Like that's a, yeah. I, I always think about that with the, at least with Jurassic yeah. park, you can say it's the 25th year. It's, it's going to be around. Yeah. People are still talking about, you know what? Let's bring it in. Yeah. Uh, but the informer just, I don't know. Did, was there just but like this influx of like I want, Irish and, Americans who are suddenly aware of it? Are there like, do people, are there fans of specific movies who every year are like, Oh, I can't believe it didn't get in because there are with the rock and roll hall of fame. And I guarantee sure. you today, a number of Grand Funk Railroad fans were once again, <laughs> let down the Grand Funk Railroad. And that's hilarious to me. Like, 
because it doesn't seem I don't think Grand Funk Railroad is going to end up getting the, the informal treatment. I don't think another 50 years people are going to be like, you know what? Right. I think Grand Funk Railroad's window has closed <laughs> for getting into the rock and roll hall of fame. But I guarantee you there are people who are pissed off. Oh, undoubtedly. Yes. Yes. Um, all right. We got to wrap up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this has been a blast. Uh, you can find us at battleship this week in terms of movie reviews. Uh, if you got, um, I reviewed, uh, what is it? Four movies, right? Bird box, Spider-Man into the spider verse. If Beale street could talk, mm-hmm. which is one of the best movies of the year and mortal engines, which is one of the worst. Uh, although I know a, a surprising number of people who like it. So, um, and of course, Spider-Man into the spider verse, which is very good. It is very good. Yes. It is not redefining the superhero movie or redefining film animation. Mm-hmm. It's a very good movie. I'm so, and I'll tell you, I, I take notes when I go to screenings. Mm-hmm. I wrote like two things the entire time because Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse is so engaging yeah. that I barely even thought to take notes. So I don't want to sound like I'm, it's a really good movie, but I feel like people are talking about it. Like it's, it's not subverting shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a really good movie. Um, and it's really fun to look at. Uh, all right. So those reviews are up at battleship pretension.com. Uh, you can email us at David at battleship pretension.com or Tyler at battleship pretension.com. I'm on Twitter at Davey pretension. Tyler's on Twitter at Tyler pretension. Anything going on at more than one lesson? Your other podcast. This uh, week? as far as my show, no, that's kind of on a semi, uh, what do you call it? Not permanent. Uh, yeah. What's the word? Temporary, not temporary. Like, uh, Damn, I can't think of the word. Um, limited. Limited. It's on a limited break, but uh, for a while. Okay. I don't know what it's going to be. Indefinite. Um, indefinite. That's thank the word you. That's you're looking for. Um, but there's still stuff going on uh, on the site. Our writer, Bob, wrote a review of uh, The Favorite. And then you'll find this interesting, David. So uh, the podcast, The Fear of God, is still, is still going strong. Okay. Uh, this week, they talk about Better Watch Out. And right. they interview the director. Oh, cool. Yeah. I don't know how that happened, but, uh, but yeah, so that's, that's very exciting. I was very happy for them. All right. So, uh, thank you for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 